Welcome, everybody. Good to see all of you today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here at Zion. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if you started at a disadvantage today by going to your normal seat and seeing that it was blocked off. I know how church people get with that. Um, but I just wanted us to be close together since, uh, you know, a lot of us couldn't make it to church today. Uh, even one of the TVs didn't want to come. You know, I don't know what to do with these guys. Uh, but it's good to see all of you. Um, actually, I have special guests. My mom and my sister are here joining us today. Always nice to welcome the family. And uh, we are in our series called Jesus is Greater, looking in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 today. Uh, I'm, I, I love kind of what we're going over today. The, the title of today's sermon is A Faithful Champion. And as I was preparing this, kind of reading through, praying over the scripture, uh, there were how the text came and hit me, uh, convicted me, challenged me. Uh, I pray it comes through today as we read through it. Um, if you have your, your faithful Hebrews journal, you can take that out. Read along with me in chapter 3. Um, if not, I don't think we're going to be giving them out today, but uh, I think you can request it. Um, maybe the Connect table may have some more if you never got one. Uh, but uh, just to kind of reorient us into what has been going on, if you missed last week or this is your first time joining with us in the series, Hebrews is a sermon that was written to a struggling church. They were a church uh, that was kind of drifting away from their commitment. And we see that several times throughout the passage, uh, throughout the, the, the book of Hebrews. And we're going to revisit that again today. But so far, what the preacher has done is the preacher has reinforced why they, the church should believe the message of Jesus. Why his message was greater than any message that had ever come and is greater than any message that ever could come. And how Jesus is present with us in a hostile world, being our champion, our savior, and our brother. That preacher then moves on to one of the most amazing attributes of Jesus, which is what we're going to be talking about today, his faithfulness. And so as we start off, we're going to read throughout Hebrews chapter 3 today from the beginning to the end. But we're going to start off in verses 1 through 6. And you can read along with me on the screen or... Uh, in your own Bible. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also is faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So as the preacher begins to establish who Jesus is, in this passage, he establishes Jesus' faithfulness. And to establish the faithfulness of Jesus, 
What does the preacher do? He brings in Moses. Now, if you wonder why he brings in Moses, it's because to the Jewish people, Moses was the man. He was uh, the prophet of prophets. He was the closest uh, you could get to God. God called him his friend. He actually saw uh, God. And the law, one of the greatest things that had ever been received, the, the covenant, came through Moses. And so I think of it like this. When people want to make a case for LeBron being the best basketball player, <laughs> John almost choked on himself at the thought. Where's Danny? I don't see Danny today. I was going to do a little shout at him, but I'll make fun of him next week. That means I can make fun of LeBron all I want with no hate after this. But who do, who do people compare LeBron to when they're, when they're making the case for who the best basketball player is? They bring in Jordan. Why? Because it's already established that Jordan was or is the GOAT. He is the greatest of all time when it comes to basketball. And so there, there's already a connection. So in, even if you're not talking about LeBron, it was, a, it was the same thing with Kobe, and it's going to be the same thing over and over. When people want to compare who the best is in this sport, we all have one kind of linchpin, one cornerstone that we all go to. Was this person better than Jordan? You know, the answer is no, but, you know, people still fight about it. But what the preacher wants to do then is he brings in Moses to kind of the same attitude of, is Jesus greater than Moses, right? If Jesus is so great, then he has to be greater than Moses. And so the comparison of, if you want to see how great Jesus' faithfulness is, look at the faithfulness of Moses and see why Jesus was greater than that in him. And here's the difference that the, the, the preacher makes. He says Moses was faithful in God's house. He was a faithful in God's house. But Jesus is faithful, what? Over God's house. That he is not in God's house. He presides over God's house. The other distinction he makes is Moses was faithful as a servant. He was a servant in God's house. But Jesus is faithful as a son over God's house. So there's the distinction of being in and being over. And then the distinction of being a servant and being a son. And so he's saying, if you believe Moses was faithful, then realize that Jesus who is greater than Moses, Jesus is greater. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Moses in his faithfulness because he is not just in the house. He is over the house. He is not just a servant. He is a son. And so as the congregation here, they're struck with this idea of drifting away. We've been talking about this from the message of Jesus. They're drifting away from Jesus's message to Moses's rules. The preacher wants them to know, yes, Moses was faithful, but Jesus is greater than Moses. And so if you have to pick one to follow, follow Jesus. And the preacher then ends the section with this thought. And we are his house. We, as in the body here sitting around us today, the saints, we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So we are part of the house of Jesus or we are part of the house that Jesus is over if, right? And there's a big if here. If everything we trust in and everything we hope in 
remains to be Jesus and Jesus only. Everything that we boast, everything that we trust in, everything that we have pride in is Jesus. And everything that we hope in, our hope for our future, our hope for our lives, our hope for our family, everything that we hope in must be in Jesus. So we are part of this house that Jesus has if our hope and our trust remain in Jesus and Jesus alone. But this got me thinking about, right, this church, they were drifting into their old hope. Their old hope was what? The law of Moses, the covenant. They were just going back to what they knew. This kind of got me thinking about what do we drift back to as people? You know, the, unless we are a Messianic Jew, it may not be the law of Moses that we drift back to. And I don't think we have many Messianic Jews in the congregation. And so there are other things that we may drift back to. It could be following rules, right? It may not be the Old Testament rules, but it could be following rules, but not following Jesus. Is it maybe it's endless scrolling on Instagram or Pinterest or Target, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you like to endlessly scroll on. I found out Forever 21 is, is bankrupt. They're going away. And I was like, that's like 90% of my wardrobe right there. So I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. I just like to feel 21, you know, again, <laughs> whenever I dress myself. Right? Is it that person's number in your phone that you know you text whenever you have that weakness? That you can text them, call upon them, know that this is my comfort of sin in my time of need? Is it that bottle of wine that you keep in your refrigerator for that hard day that you go to to solve your problems? Is it the video game that you get caught up to lose sight of reality in over and over and over because the pain of your present situation is too painful for you to live in? Is it your spout of anger to make everyone around you miserable too? Is it complaining? So you can say, woe is me, woe is me, and let everybody know that your life is hard. Right? There are things that we go to, there are things that we drift back to in our life. That when the message of Jesus, when we lose our hope in Jesus, when we lose our confidence in him, when we lose our trust and our boasting in him, there are things that we walk back to in our life where we spend our hours of time, where we spend, the, we look to these things to give us happiness, to bring joy, to bring comfort to us. It could be our status, it could be our accounts, our pay stub, our title. The amount of followers that we have on Facebook or Instagram, all these different things, shopping, buying things, books, whatever it is that bring us the comfort when we refuse to turn our eyes to Jesus. We all have something to fall back to. It's the things that Jesus has saved us from. Something that sometimes was good, but was imperfect. But it got us through. It medicated us just enough. So the preacher says this, and then he launches into the second warning of the book. He says, even though Moses was faithful, the people he led were not. Do not be like those people. In verse 7 says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now I want you to hear this. He's about to quote 
from Psalm 95, but he's saying this is what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. The Holy Spirit is speaking this to the church, right? Even though scripture was written thousands of years ago, some of it, it still speaks to us today through the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is saying today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The first warning that we read about in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 The question was posed, will you escape his wrath? The implied answer to that was no. But the second warning, as I said, these warnings get more and more urgent as the book goes on. The second warning gives us a consequence of the wrath. One of the consequences of his wrath is not entering into his rest. And so the the preacher then expounds on this quote from Psalm 95, and he says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. See, what Psalm 95 is, what the preacher is is bringing to remembrance here, is one of Israel's greatest failures. It is a failure that would haunt them for the entire existence of them as a people. And what's interesting about Psalm 95 is this one part that the preacher repeats Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That quote would actually be read at the beginning of the synagogue meetings during that time. And it was a reminder that each week, remember our failure, remember our disobedience, remember what we had done and the consequence of that, that in the wrath of God, that an entire generation perished in the wilderness. And so in remembrance of that, remember that as we meet together today in the synagogue, as they read those two verse, that one verse, that those two lines, every single time they gathered today was remember what happened when we hardened our heart, when God spoke to us. As we read scripture today, as the Holy Spirit speaks today, let us remember and pray that we do not harden our hearts today, that we hear what it is that God is saying to us. And so I pray this verse over us right now. That today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. See, here's what happened in the rebellion that the preacher is referring to. He's reflecting on the journey of the Israelites. And we find this in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. See, Israel 
was about to walk into the promised land. And before they, they, they were going from Egypt um, into what is present day Palestine and Israel. And right before they were about to enter into the inheritance that God had promised uh, way back to their forefather, Abraham. They sent 12 spies into the land. And these 12 spies were supposed to spy out, look, all right, where are we supposed to go? What's a good strategy? What are we going to do? And so the 12 spies come back and 10 of the spies look at the land and they say, guys, I hate to tell you, but we are not going to conquer this land. There are giants in the land. They are well protected. We are going to go there and we are going to lose. Two of the spies say, actually, yes, there's giants in the land. Yes, it's well protected. Yes, it's going to be hard, but we can do this. But the people of Israel listened to the bad report of the 10 spies. And they begin to mourn and say, God, what are you doing? Why have you taken us here? You have taken us just you've taken us here to die. We don't want to go any further. And so what's crazy is after all God did. The 10 plagues on Egypt, bringing them out of over 400 years in slavery, parting the Red Sea, destroying the army of Pharaoh. Here they are yet again, up to another test. God is saying, I am your champion. I am going to give this to you. And they say no. But not only do they say no, that God can't do it. They say, bring us back to Egypt. It was better for us to be there than for us to be here. Not only did they say bring us back to slavery, to their old things, they try to change their leadership. They're like, get, get rid of these people that are, that are leading us. We don't want them anymore. They're leading us to our death. And then they try to kill Joshua and Caleb for the report that they shared that they said, yeah, God is faithful. He is going to bring us through. And so Psalm 95 is that reminder. I spoke and you did not believe and you held what I had told you in contempt. You hardened your heart. And for that, you did not enter into my rest. The preacher says, do not allow this to happen to you today. Right. As people, sometimes we get so close to God's promise, to his rest. But then we stop and we look at what God has for us and we count the cost. We have to stop scrolling. Maybe we have to give up Netflix. No more gaming. Maybe we put the drinking aside And we say, there are giants in the land. There is no way we are going to be able to conquer this. There is no way that I'm going to ever be able to stop this. I'm always going to feel this way. I'm always going to go back to this thing. I'm always going to want this. This desire will never be conquered in my heart. There's no way I can ever stop. And God is saying, I am giving this to you. I am your champion. I have won the victory. I have conquered the land. I have gone before you. We get so close to God's promise, to his rest. And we count that cost. 
And we look at our heart and we look at what we are called to do and we say, that's just not going to happen. Forget it. It's too hard. And what happens is we miss out on all the good things that God has for us. And we trade it for the slavery of the world. We trade it for the endless scrolling because that's easier to do at night. We trade it for the titles. We trade it for the money. We trade it for the moments of gratification because we say that God is incapable of doing this. But what we miss out on is so much greater than what is to offer by the things that we trade it for. See, a lot of times we only talk about the cost of following Christ, but we forget to talk about the promise of following Christ. See, the promised land for the Israelites was the land flowing with milk and honey. This was a greater land, a greater home, a greater place, a greater everything for them that they were about to enter into. But they looked at what they had before. Man, we were able to eat in Egypt. Right? That sounds crazy to us because they were enslaved. But they thought at least we were, we were given our three meals a day. And so often we look at our life and we look at everything that we have seen and done in our life. And we look at the best things, the things that have given us the most gratification. And we think that must be the best that life has to offer. And God is saying, open up your eyes to what I have before you. Open up to your eyes to what I want to give you. It is so much greater. It is so much better than what you have, than what you will experience. But we turn away and we said, you know what, I I will trade the future that God has for me, the rest, the promise that God has for me, for my past of slavery. Because that, you know, I know what I'm getting into there. And we stay in our dysfunction, we stay in our sin, and we drift away and we turn away and we look to the old things again. And then God in his wrath says, well, then I cannot allow you to enter into my rest. I cannot allow you to enter into the promise. And the promise of God is so amazing. I want to give you two examples of how I see this play out in my life. Because sometimes we just need to remember that God's promise, even though in the present may seem like, man, I do, the last thing I want to do right now is open up my Bible. The last thing I want to do right now is pray. The last thing I want to do right now is to put my confidence in Jesus because maybe I don't feel it and I don't see it. There's no goosebumps with me at night when I'm crying and depressed. And so the last thing I want to do is open up a scripture or pray to God and put my trust and my boasting and my confidence in him. But when we remember what God has done and what he wants for us, sometimes we could say, all right, God, bring me back on this journey. You know, a little while ago when Heather had the babies with our twins, um, see, the, 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 the promise of God's rest just cannot be understated. When you follow God, he promises things for you. He promises joy. He promises peace. He promises contentness. 
And so Heather had just had her twins, you know, a few weeks uh, into us having the girls. Um, something's happening. You know, when you have babies, uh, you know, we're all adults here. Uh, the stuff still comes out for a little while. There's still things coming out for a little while. And so a few weeks into it, a little more came out than normal. And, you know, me and Heather are just like, oh, that's not good. Let's call the doctor. So Heather calls the doctor. And, you know, usually when you call the doctor, they're like, all right, I, I could fit you in in like four weeks, you know, at, you know, 2.17. Uh, you'll have three minutes. Uh, you better get in and out, right? Like that. If you have a good doctor, usually they're pretty booked up. Um, and so we called the doctor, let the nurse know. The nurse is like, hold on one second, puts the doctor on. And the doctor says, come in immediately. That is not ever something that you want to hear the doctor say. And so Heather went uh, into the doctor's office. Um, and I went with her and we're sitting down. And the doctor is kind of explaining to us everything uh, that this may be. You know, this, we're, doctor is saying we're probably going to have to do surgery uh, to fix this issue. Uh, this happens. Uh, could be this. You know, in the surgery, she would have to be put under an anesthetic. Um, you know, there's always complications that can happen for surgery. Uh, there are things that could go wrong. There's a million things. You know, it's like the end of that medical commercial where the doctor is just like, here's five million things that could go wrong. Uh, but especially for a mom who is uh, breastfeeding the kids, the last thing that you want is to go under an anesthetic. That means 24 hours or more of milk is garbage. That means that you're going to interrupt the flow, which you don't know what your flow is going to be like. But then, you know, for uh, moms that are breastfeeding their kids, the last thing also that you want is stress and anxiety, right? That is one of the major causes of having low flow, meaning your kids aren't getting enough milk and enough substance. And so when you go into the doctor and the doctor's saying, we're probably going to have to perform a surgery and you're going to have to go under an anesthetic, what is the immediate reaction? You know, stress, anxiety, worry, and all the things that go along with it. Uh, and so I was walking with Heather and she just asked me, she said, you know what, what do you think? Am I going to need the surgery? Uh, because there were two slight alternatives that the doctor said, let's try these. Uh, we'll give them three or four days. If they don't work, you know, we're going to schedule uh, you to be in the OR. Uh, and immediately when she asked that, I sensed in my spirit, we would be fine. And I told her, this is nothing to worry about. You're not going to need surgery. You're going to be fine. You'll, we're going to go to the doctors in three or four days. He's going to tell you you're, you're okay. And so we went to the doctors three or four days. They did another exam. They said, you're looking better. Let's push it another couple of days. A couple of days we went back. Said, all right, you don't need surgery. You're in the clear. You don't need to worry. And that is, let's praise God, right? Like this is, this is good. This is the, these are the stories that we like to hear about, right? That, that, and, and we say it's so easy in that moment to say, God is faithful. God is good. And it's true. God is good and God is faithful. And in that moment, the rest of God, the peace of God, the joy of God in my life meant I was able to proclaim to Heather, this is not going to be an issue. You will be fine. The Spirit has testified to mine that there will be nothing to worry about. Amen. And you know what? She could have been stressed. She could have had anxiety. She could have, all these things could have happened. The anesthetic, we could have just said yes to the surgery right away that we weren't going to try anything else. And all of these things would have happened and it would have made for a miserable month in our life. 
And who knows what the consequences of that would have been long term for the babies and for her. And so the the joy here, the beauty of this is that God was inviting me into his rest to put my hope and my confidence in him in that moment. And I could have said, no, that's not what the doctor is telling me. I could have said, no, don't you see what I see on the sonogram? It looks bad. I saw what I saw, God. This is not how it works. But the rest of God, the promise of God is beautiful. And when we put our trust in him, no matter what it looks like around us, he is faithful. He is good. But then there's the other side of that, where God is faithful and good, even in our suffering. Right. He is at work, even though I suffer. And even in that. I've learned to love. And really enjoy the faithfulness of Jesus. You know, my. In times of hardship in my life, the Bible is very clear. If you are suffering because you did something wrong, that, sh- that isn't the reason why you should be suffering. Right? So right, there's a lot of the disciples went to jail and there would be constantly this uh, admonition. Is if, if you are suffering and you're in prison uh, for preaching the gospel, then we're praying for you. But if you don't go to jail, don't, don't suffer because of things that you've done wrong, because of disobedience. And so... Um, I make that juxtaposition because I could have been suffering with Heather's doctor report, and that would have been a needless suffer. But then there are sufferings that God calls me to go through, and those aren't needless. In those types of suffering that God calls me to go through, what isn't needless about it is God is working out his holiness in me, and I am showing off his glory through me. And so when there's a hard time in my life, I remember specifically not too long ago, six, seven months ago, it just seemed like everything wasn't going right. And it wasn't going right for a long time. And there was a culmination of one week where everything seemed to be hitting at the same time. I was frustrated in the living room, sitting down and just saying, God, what in the world are you doing? And I saw my heart, my tendencies begin to drift away to my old habits and my old patterns. And I saw those things coming. I'm saying, God, what are you doing? Are you in this? Are you here? Are you with me? And God very clearly spoke to me in that moment that he was working through the situation that his hand was upon what was going on. And so I had two choices at that moment. I could complain to God and say, well, God, that's unfair. God, why are you doing this? You know, I don't want this. And I can continue to drift and go to my old ways. Well, you know what? I'm feeling pain right now. So let me go to my pain medicator. I'm suffering right now, so let me go to the things that I know make me feel that momentary happiness. But I felt this challenge in my heart of, God, your hand is on this. There's pain. There's suffering. But you are present with me. You are here. You have not left me. You have not forsaken me. But through ever, whatever happens at the end of this, I know that it will glorify your name in a greater way. And so my prayer in those moments is, Lord, help me to sustain. Help me to sustain in this trial and in this test that my heart would not fail. That I would not start to look to the left, that I would not start looking to the right. 
but that I would keep my eyes fully fixed on Jesus, that no matter what pain, no matter what things, no matter what tests, no matter what trials are coming my way, that I would say that Jesus is my hope, that Jesus is my confidence, that Jesus is more than enough. He is the only thing I need. I need him more than I need bread, than I need water. I need him more than I need my family. I need him more than I need anything around him, than I need a paycheck. Jesus, you are more than enough for me. And as the disciples, though they may kill me, They can only kill my body, but I serve the one who can kill the soul. So no matter what pain, no matter what sorrow, no matter what hurt is going on in my life, the only sustenance I need that allows me to enter into joy, contentedness, and peace is are you with me? And he is with us. He is with us to the ends of the earth. But the preacher says this in verse 14, that to enter into this beautiful promise of God, we must stay faithful to the end. In verse 14, it says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I like that word original confidence because it reminds me of that psalm. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That there's a beauty in when we first truly began to fall in love with God. You know, if you grew up in the church, maybe it was the first time that you really began to sense the Spirit speaking to you when you read Scripture or when you prayed. If you didn't grow up in the church in that moment that you said, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus or that process, and you were just in love. There was, a, there was a confidence in that. There was a joy in that. That my life is going to be changed. That all things are made new. That my broken heart will be a new heart. But we must stay faithful, firm to the end. See what the author is saying here is do not let your confession of faith lose power over your heart. Don't let your confession, the things that you spoke with your mouth and believed in your heart, don't let it lose its authority over your life. Let it direct your decisions. Let it direct your time management. Let it direct your finances. Let it direct your friendships. Let it direct your rhythms in life. Hold firm to the end. That that confession, that original confession where I said, Jesus is Lord, Lord over my life, Lord over this country, Lord over my city, Lord over my decisions, Lord over everything, not just my Sunday morning, but he is Lord. That confession that radically changed and shifted my heart that said Jesus is greater than everything. He is greater than all that I have and all that I can have. Jesus is greater. That confession that altered how I lived my life, that original joy and confession that said I will follow and I will serve you. Do not drift away from that. Don't walk away. But hold firm. Because in it you receive the promise. You receive the inheritance 
you receive his rest. When we lose our confidence in our confession, we walk away from our faithfulness towards Christ. The admonition that the preacher gave to this church is the same one that we can receive today. Do not harden your heart like Israel did. Literally moments away from what God had for them and they looked at it, they counted the cost and they hardened their heart. They held what God told them in contempt and they said no and they turned around. And for that, an entire generation was lost as they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. That the only two people that went in were Joshua and Caleb who said yes to what God had said. Do not harden your hearts. Do not let unbelief settle in. But be faithful like he is faithful. Know that even in the storm or in the midst of a bad report, no matter what the giants in the land look like, that Jesus is faithful. Whether it works out the way you want it to or not, Jesus is faithful. Your confidence is not in your situation. It's not in your boss. It's not in your job. It's not Instagram. It's not in your followers. It is in Jesus. And Jesus is faithful. He is your champion. He is your empathetic high priest. He understands your tests and your trials because he went through them himself and he remained faithful. Let us remain faithful today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let that be our anthem that God, when you speak to me, I will not harden my hearts that when you show me something, I will not hold what you say in contempt, but I will walk and where you have called me to walk because I know that the God, my champion goes before me, fighting my battles for me, winning the victories for me, that I walk in the footsteps that he has already treaded. That he understands, that he has been tested in, that he has triumphed over. And in those steps, in that Jesus, in that Savior, I remain confident in. Church, do not be like the people of Israel. That even though they served a faithful prophet... They were unfaithful in the end. That we serve the son who is over the house and we get to live in that house in peace, in joy, in blessing, and in promise, in rest. Let us serve him with faithfulness. That if he says this is a trial that you're not going to go through, there's going to be healing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If he says this is a trial that you are going to walk through and you are going to suffer, then I get to be more like Jesus in his suffering. As Paul said, thanks be to God for that. That I will be closer to you in my suffering. I will be closer to you in my healing. Can you stand with me and pray?